0: Yeah, great job, uh, Kate. And, uh, and if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Hebrews 10. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. We're continuing uh, a series we're, we're calling Church for Monday um, because we want to be a church that, that is about following Jesus in the real world, what you're doing tomorrow, right? Whatever it is you have tomorrow, we want uh, what we speak to as a church to speak to that very intentionally. And we want to help uh, one another follow Jesus in, in the real world on Monday. Um, and so last week we talked about the importance of of the scriptures and how the scripture has to be the story that we're living out of if we're going to be people who follow Jesus. And 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 even if uh, um, even if you're not a Christian, we sort of made the, the point that you know if there, there's probably two great dangers that the Bible speaks to that gets our life off track um, more than anything else. And one is that we'll believe we'll believe something that's not true and build our life on it. Um, and the other the other problem we typically run into is that we'll we'll be isolated. We won't have community around us, and so last week we talked about the danger of of point, of what the lies, building our lives on something that's not true, and why it's so important to live out of the story of Scripture. And it's super important. If you didn't hear that, I encourage you go go to the podcast. Um, but this week I want to talk about uh, danger two, which is is isolation. And I'm just going to go for it in the beginning, and I'm going to make a provocative statement, and then I want to spend this morning unpacking why I think that it's. It's true, but I want to be, I'm not being provocative just to be provocative, um, just to make an interesting sermon this morning or to potentially offend people up front. Um, actually, like if I had to say the thing I'm most worried about as a pastor in our current culture, this would probably be it, what we're going to talk about this morning. The thing that concerns me more than anything else um, is what we're going to, we're going to um, talk about this morning. And I, I think there are a lot of people who will outright reject what I'm about to say um but there are, I think there's a lot more of us who re, who agree with it, but reject it in practice. Mm-hmm. So here's here's a provocative statement. Here we go. Uh, without the local church, you cannot follow Jesus. Without a deep and abiding and continual commitment to the local church, you cannot follow Jesus. If you want a rich and dynamic, life-changing, Faith and presence of Jesus in your life—you have to be deeply committed to the local church. And I could give you a hundred reasons why I believe that's true, but we're gonna we're gonna stay tethered to Scripture. We're gonna be we're gonna look at Hebrews ten, and there's there's three reasons out of this this text that I want to push into this morning. But I'm not gonna give them away at the beginning. I'm gonna let let the text speak, kind of talk out of it, and then let let the text draw conclusions um, for us. And I want to start in verses 24 and 25. I want to read these again because these are I think these are probably the the anchoring words of this text for us this morning. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit, but encouraging one one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And apparently, like very early in Christian history, people started thinking that they didn't need the church to be a Christian, and so that's why this author says, "You like keep meeting with one another." And this this letter Hebrews, it was probably the first. Uh, it was probably written as a sermon first before it became a letter that was distributed to churches. And it was written by a pastor who was preaching to his people, and and what he says to them is is please keep coming. Uh, don't don't stop coming to church as some are doing because apparently already there are people were beginning to think, you know, like, I don't need the church for Jesus. I, like, I can be spiritual without, without religion. I can uh, have a life with Jesus without the church community, right? Really, what's, a, what's it about is life, life with Jesus. And that, that idea was very, it happened very early in the church, and that really, it shouldn't be surprising to us. So I think it's, very, it's a very common theme today as well, because human beings, we have a very strong individualistic spe- uh, streak to us. And our culture, in particular, and and this isn't all bad, um, but we're going to talk mostly about the bad this morning. But um, like America, more than any, like our culture is built on individualism more than anything else. And while there's really good things about that, and and you know we'll talk about them at another date. Uh, there also there are a lot of problems with that. And and what's happening now is that our culture is is a culture where we are are more than ever retreating into isolation. And social scientists are beginning to write about this a lot. The enormous increase in feelings of loneliness and isolation in our own culture today. And especially just the United States, it's all over the world. And in fact, Japan uh, recently, they had, to, they, they had to invent a new word of what happens when you find someone who's been dead for a very long time, but no one discovered them. They did invent a new word. That, this is a worldwide trend. And in Forbes magazine, they had an article a few years ago, they titled uh, Text or Talk. And here is one of the conclusions from that article. So the recent studies have found that despite being more connected than ever, more people feel more alone than ever. And surprisingly, those who report feeling most alone are those you'd expect it from least, young people under 35 who are the most prolific social networkers of all. Another recent study found that 48% of respondents only had one confident compared to a similar study just 25 years ago where people said they had about three people they could confide in. So as we've built expansive social networks online, the depths of our network offline has decreased. According to a Duke University study, uh, 25% of Americans say they have no meaningful social support. Not a single person they can confide in. That number was just 10% uh, 20 or 30 years ago. 40% of Americans say they lack companionship, they're isolated from others, and that their relationships are not meaningful. And this is like, sociologists, they're like, what is happening to us? Like, what what is causing this massive increase in social isolation and people being disconnected from one another? And the best answer I can give to that, I heard it in a a podcast called This Cultural Moment. It's a pastor named Mark Sayers. His explanation for this is that essentially human beings, all of us, we want three things. We want freedom, right, to do what we want, to live how we want. And that's a good, like, these are all good things. Freedom, right, to, to live how we want, do, do what we want. Second is community, right, we want meaningful relationships around us. And third is significance or meaning, like we want to do something meaningful with our lives. And here's the problem, is those three things, the more you lean into one, the more the, more the other two go away. Right, so the more you pursue freedom, the less community you can have. Right, so if, you want, if what you want is freedom more than anything else, it's do, how you, do what you want, live how you want, follow your heart. That means you are going to lose community because community requires freedom restriction. And we live in a culture today that said more so than any other that says follow your own heart, right? Live out your own desires. Do what you think is right. Trust yourself. And that, that inevitably leads to a breakdown of community because you can't have community without restricting your individual desires or wants. Let me illustrate that like this: The only way that, that my wife Misty uh, can have community, can have a marriage with me, is if she significantly restricts her freedom. Right? She's chosen me as a roommate and a husband, and uh, that's that's very I'm very different than her. Uh, and one examples of those: You guys know those uh, those cinnamon brooms they they sell in the fall. Are you familiar with those things? Like they just smell like like a cinnamon bomb dropped. Like it's just I my nose can't handle those cinnamon brooms because it's too intense. Like back it off a little bit. And Missy she those are like her one of her favorite things in the world. She loves cinnamon brooms. She wants them. Uh, and I'm like no like I can't my nose can't take it. There's something wrong with your nose. If, if you don't li- if this is okay with you there's something wrong here. Uh, so last year she actually bought a, a little cinnamon broom as like a, a compromise which was not agreed to ahead of time. Just to be clear. Uh, but Missy, Missy has a choice, right? It's she can either live with cinnamon brooms or she can live with me. And the choice is obvious, right? It's obvious, right? Let's see, what were, what were we talking about? Um, you, uh, you cannot have community without significantly limiting your freedom. And if, if you want to be yourself at all costs, it's going to cost you community, and that's what we're choosing right now. So we're lonelier than ever, and sociolo- sociologists are, are noticing this. We're dying earlier, we're less happy, we're fighting more, because we're, we're alone. And this attitude is making its way into religious life, where we choose freedom over community when it comes to our faith or our church experience. And so increasingly, religion, it's not, the church, it's not a weekly commitment to be present with other people, encouraging them, stirring them up to, to good works, loving one another, to be in community and accountable to one another. Instead, our spirituality, our faith in Jesus, that is another individualist pursuit, right? And so if the church doesn't do what I want, or if the church isn't what I want, then I'm going to go to a place where it will feed me. And and so sociologists, now they're trying to understand why is church attendance declining in the United States? Why is it going down? And uh, there's lots of reasons given for this. I think the best the best answer is given by a church, uh, he's a pastor, but he's also a, a researcher and studier of church trends. His name's Tom Rainer, and he wrote a book called I'm a Church Member, and his argument is the reason that church attendance is declining is not because less people are coming to church, is because people are coming to church less. So uh, his, his argument is essentially, like, if you were a really committed person 20 years ago, you came every week. Now if you're a really committed person, you come... twice twice a month, or you come every month, uh, four times a month, you know, every week for the month. Now if you're a a person, you come twice a month, maybe less. And most people, most people who are connected to church come only once or twice a month. And that is a massive shift from 20 years ago in the church culture I grew up in. And when I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, the assumption was if you're like a Christian, you went to church uh, every Sunday no matter what. So to the t- when, I was a, when I was a pastor in Indiana, there was a guy who grew up in church. He actually he had a heart attack on Sunday morning, and he came to church. Like, he was massively sick. He's like, you know, I, I still got to go to church, and you know, then I'll go to the hospital. It's like, that. I don't agree with that, to be clear. Um, but, that, like, that shows you the, the cultural difference. Um, and so today, uh, today church attendance is, I, I think most of us would say, no, I come every week. Um, unless, you know, unless I needed to sleep in. Or, you know, I needed family time, work was tough, I had another weekend away, a vacation, a game, a commitment. And so I, I, I come with lots of grace. I, I want to be realistic, not legalistic. But um, the reality is 52 weeks in a, in a year on a Sunday morning. And the less you're here, the more you will look like the places you are on Sunday morning and not here. And so my, my, I don't, you cannot follow Jesus without the local church, because with the local, without the local church, you won't stay with Jesus. This pastor who wrote pre- Hebrews, we can't go into the whole letter, but one of the primary themes of Hebrew are people who have left the Christian faith. They were in church, now they're not. They're doing religion on their own, or they've stopped believing, or they've traded in community for, for freedom. And one of the reasons, uh. One of the reasons why the, the Hebrews author hits into this so much is he's seen people fall away from the faith. And so what, part of what he says, and don't neglect to meet together, um, what he says in verse 23 is, is this. He says, uh, let, us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet with one another. So connected with this in, in, in this, not, you know, don't stop meeting together, is this let us hold fast To the confession of faith, right? Hold fast to Jesus. Hold on to belief, the pastor, the preacher says. And here, because no matter what day you live in, believing in God is incredibly difficult in this world. There are so many reasons not to. There are so many pressures, external and internal, to not believe in Jesus. And it takes a weekly communal worship gathering commitment or you are likely to drift away from that message or you're likely to be more shaped by the world than by Jesus when it comes to Monday morning. And so this morning, one thing I want to challenge you to do, I want you to look at your last year, and as best you can, do a church audit. How many Sundays were you here out of 52 from, you know, February 2019 all the way back to February 2018? 52 weeks. Was it 26? Was it, was it 30? Was it 15? And again, there's grace, right? It's not in our our day and age. Work schedules are different, um, commitments are different, and I, I understand all of that. There's not legalism here. There is is lots of grace, and yet I think there's this undercurrent of we see this space as not significant and not important for for life change enough to make it a non-negotiable piece of our calendar. And I think the spirit was was reflected well. An uh, author, Donald Miller. Uh, he, uh, he wrote a blog post a few years ago. He's a Christian author, and he basically, he basically stopped going to church, and he wrote a blog post saying, well, here's why I don't go to church very much anymore. Here's what he wrote. He said, I used to feel guilty about this, about not going to church very much, but to be honest, I experience an intimacy with God I consider strong and healthy. It's just that I don't experience that intimacy in a traditional worship service. In fact, I can count on one hand the number of sermons I actually remember. So to be brutally honest, I don't learn much about God hearing a sermon and I don't connect with him by singing songs to him. Now, I'm going to be sure I almost 100% agree with all this. I don't remember probably any sermon. There's a lot of sermons I preach. It's like, hey, remember when you preached on that? I'm like, did I preach on that? Let's... It's like, I don't expect you to ever remember any sermon that I ever preach. And I don't expect that you come in here on a Sunday morning and you're wowed. And it's an experience because my primary competition is not Netflix. It's not what's streaming, right? I'm not, we're not here to entertain you or to wow you. And so actually, I'm okay with everything he just said. He just massively misunderstands the, what this space is doing and what the church is doing. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about I, which showed up a lot in that paragraph. So that's point one is if without a, a weekly commitment to the, the church, you are likely to drift away. Again, with all the grace and understanding of commitments, all of that. Insight, like, But I believe that. I believe that. So that's point one. Uh, point two, then, move, moving on. I, I want to push into what Donald Miller is saying and, and is that the, the first the first thing he gets wrong is is what I just said is, is we're not like we're not competing with, competing with Netflix, I'm not trying to wow you. We're not here to give you an experience. If I could give you an experience, I'd work for Netflix and make a lot more money, right? That, that, that's what I would do. Is is I would I would work for an entertainment and that's not what the church is trying to do. And and so Hebrews ten where it starts in verses 19 through 22, it just it just unpacks what the communal worship experience is. And what's happening there. And you hear the practices that we practice week after week after week. And so you look at verse 19. It says, uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And this this is pretty clearly both the reference to Jesus' blood and to his flesh. This is a reference to the practice of communion. Right? We believe we can enter into the presence of God because Jesus has given us a practice of communion where we, we come each week to his table, it's his body, it's his bro- blood um, shed for us. And so every Sunday morning, you get, to lo- you get to go to the table of the Son of God and eat at it. How many of us are convinced, without a shadow of doubt, we live on Monday morning, whatever our work is, like totally convinced that God wants, so wants to know us and eat with us and be near to us that we never doubt that. We never struggle with that. right? All of us struggle to believe, and that's why we need a table every week. No, Jesus, he, he died for you to be at his table. And someday after you come to that table a thousand times, you might actually believe it. Like with your whole heart. And I've said this before. One of the one of the things I'm so grateful for was that my parents had a very strong year in church every Sunday. And, and as I remember in high school, like really struggling with how do I fit in, you know, popularity, what, what's my friend group? I just remember the practice of communion being this really powerful experience that whatever like whatever Monday looked like at school, I knew without a shadow of doubt, the God of the universe let me come to his table. We, like, and that's that's not something that like you eat the bread and you believe it because you ate this cracker. no, it's a practice, it's a habit. Let's keep going. verse 22 the, the author says, "So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water. And that's an obvious reference to baptism, as well as the, the confession and assurance that happens here on a Sunday morning, which is that we believe that we are accepted into the family of God because he's washed us clean through this practice that we, we follow after Jesus in, in baptism. And then week after week, we, even though we don't do baptisms, we relive out that practice of preaching the gospel of assurance of salvation through the forgiveness of sins of the death and of resurrection of Jesus. like that. We preach that every week. And so every Sunday we, we, we you know, proclaim the gospel here, that you're saved through the life and blood of Jesus. That you're forgiven. And someday, after a thousand Sundays of hearing that, we're actually going to believe it, like with our whole hearts. And what I think especially is important in this paragraph is how little time the author spends talking about himself and his experience and how much he spends talking about others, right? We stir one another up to love loving good works. We encourage one another. And so part of what we're saying here at, at church is that, that a, a key element of what we're to do together is to stir one another up to good works and to help you on Monday like live out your faith in a meaningful way. It's your work, your vocation, with your family, wherever that is. Not as a, like, you come and you receive something, but as you come and you help one another, we help one another uh, live into good works, live into the gospel lived out on Monday Morning. And week after week, we enter into this space. We enter into these practices. And after they become habits and deeply ingrained into who we are, they, they change us. And so you cannot follow Jesus without the local church because without the local church, you, you will not change. And my goal in life is to obey Jesus. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, was very clear. And this was spoken without irony and with 100% expectations. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like that's my goal in life is to be perfect, whole, complete, good, like Jesus. And without a deep and abiding commitment to the local church and to a communal worship gathering where those ideas are ingrained into me via habit, I have zero chance of becoming that. There's a lot of research going on right now. Like how how do human beings change? How do we get better habits? Um, Right? And what neuroscientists are finding out is that what does not help us to, to very much degree, unless you like just have a, a weird amount of this just naturally into your genetics, into who you are, is what does not help us a great deal is willpower. Willpower does not change us. right? Like buckling down saying, I'm going to do it this time, that does not help us. What changes us is habits. Habits are what give birth to change. And so I haven't talked about this in a while, so it feels like it's time to mention it again. But I, I ran a marathon last October, and... Uh, that's 26.2 miles, if you were not aware of that. Um, but what I, what I did not do is wake up on the morning of October seventh, two 2018 and say, I'm going to really try to run 26 miles today. Because uh, my first training run uh, before the marathon, which was, you know, well over a year before I ran, uh, I had never run longer than two miles in my entire life. And so I didn't just wake up that morning, I'm going to really try to do this, right? We don't wake up each morning and say, I'm going to really try to be perfect like Jesus did." It doesn't work. Willpower does not work. Instead, uh, for the course of a year, I ran three to four times a week. I had over 100 training runs. And then when the morning came, even though I had never run that distance, I ran that distance because of habits, like months and months of training and practice. And that's ultimately what Donald Miller gets so wrong, is you don't, like, you cannot go to church and expect a one-time experience that's going to enable you to run the marathon of life, to be perfect as Jesus is perfect. The point of church is not a wow experience, look what I took away, boy, I'm going to remember that. And, and listen, that happens from time to time, but you're probably going to forget about it three months from now. That's not why we come here. Why we come here is, this is a, these are new habits. Right, like at work, the habit is you better produce or you can't be here. Like you better make money or you can't, and that's not the habit here. The habit here is come to Jesus' table. His body was broken. His blood was shed for all your imperfections, all the way you let everyone else down. Like you're welcome here. We have different habits. And that is what ultimately leads to, to change, is that I need to eat at Jesus' table with Jesus' people every week. That changes me, not because I do it one time, because I've done it probably a couple thousand times in my life um, by now. I've no, I didn't do the math on that, so don't, don't think about that, okay? But I need, I need to sing the good news of the gospel every week. I need to be around you all, encouraged, challenged, held accountable, loved every week, that without the local change, we will not change. Without the local church, we will not change. We'll be, we'll be stuck in ruts. We'll be the same things over and over again. And listen, don't, don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying the church is the cure-all to all your problems. It's not. Change is really hard, and Jesus like, Jesus' plan for my life is not for me to get to a place where it's like, oh, Tim, he seems like a nice guy. Like, that's not the plan for me. And I don't need the church to be a nice guy. Like, there are lots of nice people without the church. That's not the bar. The bar for us is to be perfect like Jesus. And we need a training method, a plan, a process that, that actually God put together for his, his church and his people gathered weekly to, to meet in that space. And, and a quick aside, because I want to I speak to this, because this is really important to me, in the early church in order to do this they actually met like very early in the morning because people didn't have sunday off for work like we're lucky we have sunday off for work and one of the things i do think the church has failed people and i feel like i don't know how we fix this but i i think we are failing people in this is people who do have an alternative work schedule who can't who don't get every sunday morning off the church has basically not helped those people and as someone who had a blue collar job when i was in seminary i i understand that and i like that that's a burden i feel and we need to we need to figure something out there as a church. I don't know what it is. I just want to. I want to speak um, and name that because I believe without the local church, we without these rhythms of grace, we don't change. That's point two. Um, all right. Point point three. Um, so I, some of you may be thinking at this point, um, but sometimes the church is a really awful place. It's not. It's not filled with people who are encouraging or loving or stir one another up to good works. Christians make mistakes. Pastors let people down spiritual leaders do really terrible things and it's why a lot of people leave the church because the church is is a painful place and I get I get it as a pastor I probably have as many stories as everyone in this room if not more the things that Christians have said to me the things Christians spiritual leaders have done to me things pastors have said to me I mean just awful stuff And I was thinking about that this week because I know a lot of you you have those experiences. That's that's in the backdrop. It's like, yeah, I I I would come to church, but it's like it's a it's a harmful place. And first of all, if that's true, like right, you gotta you gotta. There are places that are spiritually abusive. You have to leave. Um, And yet, I wanna I wanna push into this tension because as I was reflecting on this passage this week, um, verse twenty five, it hit me fresh. And I've I've had this this verse has been like front and center for me for so long because I sense more and more that people don't think the church community is a necessary part of spiritual formation, um, is that verse 25 when the author says, don't neglect to meet, to, don't neglect to meet together, which probably was almost, could have been a daily expectation. But when I'm saying weekly. The early church meant daily, meant um, together. But <clears throat> not neglecting to meet together, that, that phrase or the word neglecting, it's the Greek word uh, forsaken. And it's sort of like, there's certain words in the Bible that just like, they carry a lot of theological weight to them, and this is one of those words. Forsaken, that, that's a word that is very common throughout the Psalms, a speaking of an experience towards um, towards God, that he abandoned me, that he for, forsook me. And and this is where Jesus uses from the cross when he says, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you left me behind? And at some point, like, you're going to... You, the church is going to make you feel that way. Someone in the church is going to—they're going to fail you in some way because we're like this is a place for sinners, right? At some point, you're going to feel forgotten. You're going to feel left out. You're going to feel—you're going to feel forsaken. And that's where, like, we're really tempted often to—to to then withdraw from the church, to step back from the church, right? Another Christian hurts us, says something to us, lets us down in a way, and we say, you know what, I. I'm, I'm going to forsake this place. I'm out. Because they, they forsook me. I'm going to forsake them. And here's the deal. I was thinking about this this, this week because I felt that um, before. There's a lot of places I can take that spirit of complaint. A lot of people I can take that spirit of complaint that says, the church let me down. They didn't be who they weren't who I needed them to be. They let me down. They forsook me. Um, I don't need it anymore. There's a lot of places I can take that attitude. There's one place I cannot. I cannot take that to Jesus. Because imagine me saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus, your church let me down. They... They forsook me, right? They they didn't forgive me or they, they 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 didn't treat me with grace. I can't take that to Jesus cuz what like what did he do? Like he actually was forsaken by the church. His disciples all fled him when he went to die for them, that human beings who became his church like literally tore him apart on, on a cross, which is why I'm like that word his flesh, right? We we gained access to the god of the universe through the flesh of Jesus, which his church tore apart to crucify him. And so there's a lot of places we can say, you know, the church is not what it should be. Let me down. You can't take that to Jesus because he's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of my story. And then I went into a grave, I rose from the dead, and I started this community. I started this church, right, to be a place where we will not forsake one another. And so last, lastly, you cannot follow Jesus without the local church because without the local church, you will not experience the gospel. And I, but I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Because Donna Miller, he wants you know he wants church to be a self-centered experience of the goth, of, of the gospel, right? You give me that experience, um, is what Donna Miller says, and you haven't given it to me, so I'm not coming, right? That's what he says. That's not what Hebrews ten is saying. Hebrews ten actually flips that. The experience of the gospel that you have here in the local church is it's others-centered. It's you giving the gospel away to the people around you. You forgiving the people around you. You showing kindness and grace and not forsaking. The people around you. you. You give the gospel to others by refusing to forsake them, by forgiving them, by showing them kindness when they don't deserve it. And most of us, and me included on this, when we come to church, we often come thinking, what can, I, what can be given to me here? But Hebrews 10 flips that, and everything's one another. It's everything another, right? Stir up another to good works. Encourage another. Don't neglect to meet with another, right? It's all other's Focus. And you have not experienced the gospel fully until you've been the one who's giving it away to someone else. Until you're the one forgiving someone who doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Until you're you the one giving someone community that doesn't deserve it. You've never experienced the gospel until you're the one giving it away. But most of us, we don't view the church like that anymore. We, we sit back, we wait to be given something. And so either we withdraw, we stop coming, we come less frequently, or we become a cynic, critical of others and Refusing to, to forgive, we, this is such a dangerous, dangerous place. And so this morning, as we, we close, I want to give you uh, the one next step for this morning. I mean, I, sorry, I'm giving you two, let's be honest. Uh, one is I want you to audit, audit your Sundays. How many Sundays have you been in worship over the last year? And then two is, is to make this, this hour plus the most non-negotiable part of your calendar. Not because we will be more entertaining than Netflix. I can, I can promise you we won't. Not because uh, you, we will make you feel better than sleeping in. False. Not because if you come, you'll always have an unforgettable experience. You won't. But come because I, I want you all to experience what I experience. As, as someone who's here every week, and I get it, I'm here every week because it's a part of my job. right? I, I, it's sort of important for me to be here. But that means I get to experience the side of the church that Hebrews ten is talking about. What weekly commitment brings to you? And I have to you like I'm, I'm saying this to you, um, not just as a way to sell my point, but I, like I truly don't know how anyone be, stays a Christian if they're not coming to church weekly. Like I truly don't know that. But those of you who come one once or twice a month, like more power to you. I don't know how you do. It. I don't know. Like I need every week to hold on to the confession of faith. I need that. A couple of weeks ago, it was actually a couple of months ago, I was driving home from a really hard meeting, um, and there's very few meetings where I would say, as a pastor, like I, like there was supernatural evil there, like I, there was another, like it wasn't just me and this person. There was there was someone else there. Like, but that, I felt that way, and it just felt it was just felt awful. And I was driving, I was driving away from that meeting, and I got a text from someone who comes um, here and says, uh, "Tim, are you available? Uh, we need to talk." Which is like, oh. Know what else? What else went wrong? Um, what else happened? And uh, man, I'm already losing it. Uh, I call and uh, that person I knew they had been through a long, uh, a long night of, of of with their family. A close relative of theirs was very close to dying and, and had made it through the night. And she was driving back um, from that experience, and she was just thinking about our church and, and you guys um, as well as as me. And she felt like uh, she felt like God had told her that that she needed to call me and just say uh, just to encourage me and to thank me for this church. And to thank me for, in particular, for a few things, and she just she just unloaded Hebrews ten twenty five encouragement on me. And I mean, I broke down, I lost it, um, and I went from this person who just felt like overwhelmed by evil to someone who who grasped firmer the confession of my hope, Jesus, without wavering. But here is the thing: like that phone call only means something because it's built off of a weekly rhythm of seeing that person, of being with that person, of being here in this church, in this community. So when that call comes, it lands with me, right? It, it, it strikes a blow. It means something to me because it's built off rhythms and practices and habits that are deeply ingrained into me. And so even in the midst of really deep, terrible evil, my grip on my faith in Jesus grew stronger. I say, uh, this morning, the reason why I say you can't follow Jesus without the local church is because I cannot follow Jesus without the local church. And if I can't, then you cannot follow Jesus without the local church. And so I hope you'll be here next week. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you as a God who has said, when your church gathers, Jesus, the Son of God, is present among us. And so we believe he's present here the Spirit is present among us, at work in us. And God, there is going to be lots of encouragement and good works and things happening that have nothing to do with this service, but just have to do with the fact that we're all in the same room together right now. And so, Lord, I I pray, I pray all of us would be encouraged, would be stirred up to love and stirred up to good works, because we gathered this morning, and that this would be one little moment in a. In a a season of, of habits and, and, and practices that we gather together to do that would lead us to change, that one day everyone in this room would be perfect like Jesus. Keep our eyes focused on that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this series, uh, Church for Monday, one thing we want to do is want to hear from people who live out following Jesus actually on uh, a Monday. And so uh, Rachel Bose is going to do that for us this morning. And Rachel is a, she's a quiet uh, powerhouse leader um, who uh, has a lot of vocations on Monday uh, I need to grab my iPad really quick so awkward walk in front of you uh, and so I wanted Rachel to uh, yeah just to come and let her let her speak to us a little bit uh, this morning and so uh, for a lot of people in here who don't know you what is your most important calling on a Monday if you can narrow it down
1: yeah um, its is so awkward sitting in lights and a microphone but um, so I am married to Jonathan and we have five kids Um I consider myself a stay at home mom, but I also work outside the home about 15 hours a week, roughly. Um, Sorry, I'm like shaking this. Um, We also homeschool our kids, so I am with all five of them um, all week long. So that's what I would consider my most important work is being with my kids.
0: Yeah, and so how how do you sense got at work in that calling?
1: Yeah, so I asked my kids, I told them I was doing this, and I asked them to help me answer these questions, and my seven-year-old told me, um, God helps you give us specific instructions, and he said that instead of telling them to go get the broom, that I would say, go get the broom out of the closet behind the vacuum on (laughs) the first floor. So (laughs) that's what my kids are getting out of it, but... um, It's good. But yeah, I think the biggest thing I've noticed, especially in the last couple of years, is my kids are a little bit older. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, five, three, and one. Um, It's just how desperate I am to know God more and just how much I don't know is so aware to me. Um, And when I'm trying to answer questions and teach my kids about the Trinity, I'm like, oh, I should learn more about this. And I think that just wanting to gain knowledge um, and just trusting God that he's going to accomplish in my kids what we're working towards. Um, And we've seen that with praying and trusting our kids with him, and I've seen that in um, relationships with my kids where we might struggle a lot, um, and because I'm with them all the time, there's a lot of opportunities to just see me not do so awesome um, and because of that my kids have been able to see me apologize a lot and walk through that process of what that means when you blow it that there is grace and my kids give more grace than um, I'm sure I demonstrate to them sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah you mentioned that word so a second ago pressing more to that where do you struggle and sense opposition in your calling on
1: Monday? Um, so I think on bad days, and this is probably true for a lot of moms, um, I think I can be really tempted and swayed to just total doubt, total anxiety, total, um, we've chosen to educate our kids at home and this is going to be an epic failure and um, my kid doesn't remember what I taught them yesterday and what will people think of us. And I think just all of that, just consistent doubt on those bad days. and we have we have a child with some special needs that don't have a name yet, but they're there, and we recognize that as parents, and I think just not knowing how to help them. Um, and those are bad days, and then I think good days, there's this temptation of, look how amazing I am, and look how amazing my kids are, and they got that fraction lesson on the first time, and look how well they know their Bible. Like, we are great. Um, and so I think the struggle is really like, just going about every day that is so monotonous um, when you're with your kids and doing that faithfully and living in that faithfully and just, that's hard. That's hard to get up every day and do the same thing um, with not a lot of recognition. And because I work outside the home, I feel like I have this benefit of doing work that is appreciated Mm -hmm. and recognized and valued Um, And when you're told thank you over and over again for eight hours at a job, it's really hard then to go back to a home where you know this is your primary work and the best work that I'm doing. And there's not a lot of thank you um, in that, but that's not what I'm also supposed to be doing. And I think, too, it's just (laughs) recognizing that this is good and this is enough, and I think there's a lot um, there's a lot of voices that specifically moms can hear of just, you should want more, and you need to do more. and um, But this is good, and we just don't have the benefit of seeing right now how this is all going to play out, which is why we need older moms that are further down the road than us.
0: Yeah, well, that leads into my last question. So how has like, this church community helped you in your Monday calling?
1: Um, yeah, so... We have kind of a unique situation. My husband works every um, Sunday. He tries to come for his lunch and meet us. But for the most part, it's me getting here with the kids. And um, that's not always fun to try and do. Uh, we typically have at least one kid that wants to be with me in service. Um, the one with the wolf ears today. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think my kids love being here. in. And children's ministry is a big part of that. But beyond that, there's people that just know my kids. Um, And they're really good at making themselves known. Um, But my son, he just has a radar and finds Dennis Stewart, wherever he is. And, like, will run and give him a big hug. And I love that. I love that there's people that know my kids. Um, And pretty much every week, somebody will come up and tell me, I love your kids. I love your family. And that's just the quickest way to encourage um, a young mom in the church is just to say, I love your kids. You know, like it just, because we don't always like them all that much. And so (laughs) it's helpful to have people that will say, well, they love them. Um, But I think the biggest impact the church has had on us has been outside of a Sunday morning service, no offense. Um, but I <laughs> I co-lead a Bible study on Thursday mornings and that has just been the biggest um, blessing in my life of just being with women who are in the same spot and are willing to just do the hard work of trying to understand what this text is saying. And And none of us are in easy situations where we have all the time in the world to sit around and study, but making the sacrifice to do that and how that encourages me to keep pushing forward. Um, And just, I can tell my kids all day long about being generous and being kind and being selfless, but they have seen that lived out in people. We um, We were in a car accident in the fall, and... Um, my kids and my husband were okay. I, I was taken to the hospital and there were people from our church that dropped everything and brought two cars and um, picked my family and my husband up on the side of the road and another couple that had went and already bought food and brought them to the house and fed them. And we were fed for weeks and people drove me to Bible study and just this without any planning of my own. And I can't <laughs> communicate what it feels like when you're in the hospital after a car accident and you have no idea what's going on and just to find out later the unraveling of people that just dropped literally everything to come and pick up my kids who were so scared um, and to just be there for them. And that just speaks volumes and it emphasizes what we're trying to do every day when you have people around you. um, Yeah, just loving them and encouraging them.
0: It's hard to imagine ending better than that. Um, so thanks, thanks for your honesty and your transparency and you're willing us to, to share. And <clears throat> this is a good transition into communion, right? And that we, we follow Jesus together on Monday. And, uh, and so that's why we do this practice every week. Um, and so we encourage you, uh, if you. You don't have to be a member of our church to take this with us. Uh, if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, you can come in groups of five to seven. Uh, take the bread, dip it into the juice. If you need gluten-free, it's available on this side of the room. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. And then as you're ready, we invite you to go and take